Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to the deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I will find a true crime story that resonated with us. Then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer. We go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then we get a little spooky and learn something about cryptids or the supernatural. So before we start this week, I just wanted to give a shout out to a listener named Tainika. Uh, We got a message from you. I did reply in our email. It was about a week ago. Um, Tainika said that she uh, found, I guess the situation is she saw the Julie Mott story that kind of exploded on TikTok. Got like 4 million views. So it was a big video that week. Mm -hmm. And she was like, whoa, what is the story? It's about this girl whose body disappeared and they still haven't found it years later. Um, She realized one, she was already following me (laughs) and two, she already had like, like subscribed to the podcast. And she was like, I just hadn't listened to it yet. And so then she said she spent like all day just listening to the podcast and had gotten all the way up to the April 8th podcast. Like by the time she got home that night. And we just want to say thank you so much for yeah, listening. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Like, oh, my God. Like, our first fan letter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, want to say thank you to what appears to be now roughly like 800, almost 800 unique listeners every week. That is a lot. I don't even know what unique listeners means. It just uh, You guys are special. That means different people who are coming to listen every week. Okay. They might listen to multiple podcasts in the same week but mm. it's the same ip address oh, okay cool well hey thanks guys we appreciate so it's it it's like 700 800 people now look at that in four months it's lovely it's lovely it is super awesome and i'm very ex- just very excited i can tell I oh can we also hit over ten thousand listens oh we did Mm-hmm. actually it's almost eleven thousand as of now look at you guys just listening to us just talk Thank you. We do appreciate you just coming back here every week to just listen to us <laughs> talk about stuff. Absolutely. And uh, I guess a little housekeeping situation for people who have been listening the whole time. We are going to be taking about two weeks off at the beginning of July. We're going to give everybody a heads up so that no one's like, hey, yeah, where yeah. are you guys? <laughs> and that's so that we can prepare for Hope, the second season. Prepare for the second season. We have uh, stuff we want to do with Patreon, things we want to offer to people, uh, opportunities to talk to us, to get extra content, all sorts of stuff to contribute to the podcast live while we're recording it. Absolutely. All sorts of exciting things. We got some great juicy stuff coming into the works. Sounds It's going to be grand. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's all wonderful things that are going to be happening. Oh, and... Uh, I will be trying to update the YouTube as much as humanly possible. Um, Ms. Brittany does a lot, and I just do the editing and my own research. So I'm going to help her out with the YouTube and post more videos up there for you guys to watch. Much appreciated, because even when I was in college and it was required for me to take video editing courses i didn't enjoy doing it then and i don't enjoy doing it now <laughs> i like to create the content and then we're going to outsource somebody else doing the editing i do like editing stuff 
There we go. We got a pro. This is how it works. Yeah, it's a yeah. Nice little, you know, symbiotic relationship. I'm not going to lie, you complain sometimes about editing, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's all. It's all part of the fun. Find the mistakes and correct them. There you go. Well, back onto our regularly scheduled programming. This week in True Crime, oh. I've come across a story that is lovely. So I have a question for you. Did you know that there's a black market for Legos? <laughs> exactly my reaction. A uh, couple weeks ago, a French police have been investigating an international ring of toy thieves who are particularly interested in Legos. Mm-hmm. And so this was originally reported in The Guardian And in that case, there were three suspects who were caught stealing boxes of Legos from a toy shop near Paris with the intention of selling them in Poland. But it's not just Europe. Apparently, Lego robberies have been happening in the United States as well. And last month, a man in Oregon was arrested after he stole $7,500 worth of Lego toy sets. Are they like special edition toy sets? Well, that's the question here because there is a lot of money in Lego. Yeah. Right? They come out these limited editions, they're collector's items. Also, side note, I hope you didn't buy that little tiny Mario Lego toy from last year. I didn't. Good. Because um, apparently a couple weeks ago, it started talking. Like it's supposed to like flash its eyes and say phrases. But it started asking for Luigi. Because... <laughs> Just now, they launched another set, and it's essentially marketing it directly to children. For Luigi, so you can buy Luigi. But it's marketing it directly to the kid through the toy. Find Luigi. Very few people have even written about this. And I'm like, is no one else bothered by this? I feel like this is a marketing problem. I don't want marketers to be able to talk to any kid directly to the kid because kids want everything yeah they They do do not have the understanding they don't have nintendo is just trying to shake you down yeah kids have no chill when it comes to wanting things believe me yeah so now that little like interactive tiny mario lego has been going luigi i can't luigi where are you i can't even do mario's voice i can do luigi's voice. i can't do the voice but yeah and so i i did see an article about that too when i was looking up looking through this (laughs) that's hilarious that's kind of creepy though there's this uh i can't believe i'm going to say this term a lego specialist um, his name is Gerben von Ischkin. Spoke to the Weekend Edition, and he told them that there could potentially be an entire black market for these, not just collector's editions, but also some editions that are only sold in certain countries. Huh. That's interesting. Um, it's apparently very difficult for them to prove that there's a black market, but there are a tremendous amount of collectors who are missing certain items from their collections and willing to do anything and pay almost any amount to get them uh van vanichkin is an auctioneer at an auction website for these kind of collectibles and he says like most collector's items Mm -hmm. the most valuable sought often sets are original unopened packages right right of course there's one called the lego cafe corner which was released in 2007 for about 150 dollars which now runs people 3000. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Uh some people are well we already know this. The Millennium Falcon Lego. Yeah, of course. It it goes for well pat like 4 grand. 
Um, and they also think that the pandemic could also be a driving force behind this, this that ring makes, of toy thieves. That makes sense. I mean, oh, toy Especially thieves? other European countries are going into bigger lockdowns now. I didn't think, I wasn't thinking about toy thieves when you said a pandemic. I thought you, I thought, see, when I think of like pandemic, people staying home, they want to play with their Legos. They want to build all these sets and stuff like that. They don't want to. See, no, this is a collector thing. Yeah, this is, this is like, obviously. I'm just seeing the heist movie in my head right now. A Lego heist movie? A Lego heist movie. They'll oh never God. green light it. They'll never green light it. Wait, no, TM that. Let's let's make that our thing, okay? So, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to write a screenplay? No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying. If we I'm ever, just a researcher. Let, let us get a writer to us. Hey, nobody steal the idea. That's ours. Trademarked already. Copyrighted. But yeah, he said that uh, there's been like a, an increase of like almost 100% of people buying lego items on the auction sites online not just ebay but other ones too but yeah there is an international gang of lego looters and three of them were captured Hmm. early april oh in france that is interesting (laughs) to say the least it was super interesting oh my god definitely um so you want to you want to you want to hear what I found out? This I'm week? ready. Okay. So I don't. I think I asked you this once in one of the podcasts before um, mm-hmm. about how wives of these serial killers or these murderers, or you you know when they when the guys go to prison, what about the wives? Um. So this is from the Daily Mail. Okay. Um. And the title says, my husband's in jail. I'm having sex with other women. Wives of prisoners reveal how how they're coping with very honest confessions. Oh, okay. So, like, a lot of the women, they're... Okay, so this is all through Whisper. Oh, right, the Whisper app. The Whisper app. But people who don't know, Whisper app is just... You put a picture and you put a confession. It's completely anonymous. Though they did add a chat feature not that long ago. Yeah. And that is immediately when I deleted it because then people got creepy. Yeah, people... No, don't And they wanted to be like, oh, so uh, what's your WhatsApp? One, I don't have a WhatsApp and I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) I just wanted to admit random strange things to people who would never meet me. Yeah. Okay, so... These women, like I said, they're writing on Whisper. Um, what an interesting thing that... And who started this? I have no idea. But a lot of women are just coming out with, you know, how they're feeling about their husbands being in prison. Um, like this one says, my husband's in prison for a year, and I feel bad because I want attention from a guy. Mm. Um, Understandable. Yeah. Another one says, since my husband has been in prison, I've been having sex with women behind his back. I miss sex, and I feel like he's he'll be less mad if it's with a woman, uh, with with a woman. My bad, or so I think so. That's like, fifty fifty. Some she's right. Some people would be okay with it. Yeah. Um. Another one. <laughs> my husband is in prison, and I'm having an affair with a married man. If he can mess up, so can I. Um. Now they're they're not all bad. There's another like there's some that actually say like. Yes, my husband's in prison. No, I'm not leaving him. He's an excellent father and a husband. Like, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, it's just like seeing the other side of these criminals going to jail, these, you know, these men going to jail for certain crimes and stuff. I mean, you know, you think about 
what about their their families you know what i mean and i just found this interesting um there is oh no i've always told anybody that i'm dating that unless you were like defending me or your family or something like that i'm i'm dipping <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't knock that at all. It's, it's, it is, if well, it's, if it's a bad reason, like if you did something bad, then I'm not going to defend you. I'm sorry. One time I met this guy, this was when I lived in Philadelphia, like oh, we're talking about well over a decade ago. I might've been like 22, 21 years old. Mm. Um, and he seemed like a nice enough guy. And then he told me he was going to prison hmm. for assault. And oh. the reason why is that he had met, he had been trying to meet someone off of like Craigslist, and I guess she tried to like scam him, oh. and he attacked her. Oh no! And so I was like, "That's good, Rob. Whatever." I didn't believe him. I just thought he'd come up with some dumb story mm-hmm. to like break it off because we hadn't been dating that long. And so, like three years later, I get a message on facebook from him and i can tell from the background picture mm-hmm. that he definitely is in prison <laughs> and he asked me like oh how are you doing are you still single and i was just like no he's like oh you didn't wait for me and i was like i barely knew you <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and if what you told me was true i definitely wouldn't have dated you yeah. i'm sorry buddy you might have been defending yourself but like you stabbed a woman i'm not dating anyone that stabbed a woman someone stealing my money me stabbing them because they're stealing my money <laughs> yeah <clears throat> i don't know i remember uh my cousin got robbed like the night of his prom and his dad specifically like all my cousins my dad, everybody, they all gave him money because it was like the first one of all of the cousins to go to prom. And they gave him something for him and his girlfriend. And legitimately, after they stopped by, they stopped back at their house to like change their clothes and stuff. And mm-hmm. they went to get in the car and somebody robbed him. Like somebody held him up. This is in Chester, Pennsylvania. For anybody who knows, Chester's a rough town. Um, I always thought it was quiet. But his, his, my uncle said to him, if somebody tries to take your money, don't be a big shot. Yeah, no. He's like, we can, you can get more money. It's not that big of a deal. We were Give just talking them about your this. money. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what my uncle said to my cousin, and it happened that night. Yeah, like he was like, don't, don't die over three hundred dollars. Please don't. To anybody listening, please don't. You can get those cards canceled. You can get a new license. You can blah, we were blah, talking blah. about it the other day when we yeah. were walking back from uh, when we went to the movies. Like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm like, listen, you want to steal my phone? Here you go, buddy. Yep. It ain't gonna work once I shut it off, but. <laughs> Have it, have at it. You can try and do something to it, rip it apart, whatever. But I'm not going to die over a device or no. something that's a physical good. You just give me incentive to buy a new one or get a new one. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um. Okay. So there's another one I want to read. Mm-hmm. So when people find out my husband is in prison, their next question is, did you know what he was doing? Um. What am I supposed to say to that other than no? So- but did you? <laughs> I don't. I listen. I know what you told the cops. I want to know. Oh my god! Did you know? Did you know? Did you know he was selling drugs? <laughs> I mean, probably yes. Did he buy that ring with them drugs? There's drug money. Yes. <laughs> I only say I only say drugs because that's like the number one thing people are in prison for. In this Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Legalize it. Come on now. 
But yeah. Oh. <laughs> Still going to get arrested for selling drugs, though, even if it's legalized for people using them. Okay, you can get a job at one of the dispensaries, okay? I thought about that briefly, but it seems rather arduous. Like, you have to get go through more background checks to work at a dispensary than to be a teacher. And I go through a lot of background checks and things. Uh, no comments. <laughs> no comment. But yeah, that's what I got for this week. For well, very. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's like good or not. Yeah. See, I I wasn't sure. Weird story, <laughs> especially the one who's like, ah, listen, uh, girls less bad. <laughs> Question mark. It's still cheating. It is still cheating. Either way, it doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man. You're, hey. you're still stepping out. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right, the Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of serial killers and the official merch for the podcast, this collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warding keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T H E. M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CALT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. Well, I did prep you last week by telling you I was going to talk about something that I swore I would never talk about yeah, on the podcast. I forgot. An unsolved murder. Okay. Oh, right, 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 right. And anybody who's listening from the TikTok or listening general knows, they're like, wait, 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 wait. You have to be confused here. I hate unsolved murders. I hate the conversation around unsolved murders. I hate that there's always a million uh, cyclical theories. And then people are like, you're wrong. And we get into arguments. I hate it. I love it. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I just love, I, I like theories. I'm sorry. I know you do. Um, but the, there's something interesting about this case. One, it's been unsolved for the last 40 years. And it details a small town in Missouri called Skidmore, Ooh. which has, when this crime happened, had about 450 residents and has a little over 300 now. It's oh. a very small town and has small. never gotten big. Wow. And the reason why I decided to spend time on this podcast is because there are roughly, potentially, 30 to 90 people who at some point 
knew who killed Ken Rex McElroy because they were all there when he died. What? And yeah, it's still no unsolved? One has ever been arrested. It's a, I mean, it's a small town, so maybe they're just keeping it secret to themselves. So, I don't know. No, yeah, see? And that's why this is interesting. That changes everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Normally, I would discuss the killer at length. But this time, we're going to flip it on the other side. We're actually going to talk about the victim and why it is that in this town of 440-some people, 30 to, we'll say 30 to 60 people somehow decided that something needed to be done. And also, um, well, I wanted to make you wait till we got to the end of it. Oh. Okay. If I'm honest. <laughs> well, how dare you? So, our victim's name is Rex. His name is Ken Rex McElroy. McElroy? McElroy. Like Jetson? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, he was born in Overland Park, Kansas on June 1st, 1934. He was 15 out of 16 children. Born to a migrant farming couple. And not when I say migrant, I don't mean that they were immigrants. I mean that they were uh, like moving, they moved around. moving farmers. Yeah. They were named Tony and Mabel McElroy. Uh, they were they sh- they're sharecroppers. They moved around a lot from Kansas to the Ozarks before finally setting in, settling in Skidmore, Missouri. Uh, he lived with uh, his big, big family in yep. a two-bedroom house. 18 people in a house. What? Mm-hmm. What? What? Two-bedroom house? Two-bedroom house on a farm. How? What? <laughs> Horrible. On a farm... Okay, so some of them were sleeping in the barn, I guess? Who knows? I have not found any solid details on the living arrangements, just that they all lived in a two-bedroom house. Was the basement big? I don't know. Maybe they like living room. Uh, a lot of them living in one bedroom. Probably some of them living in the parents' bedroom. 18 people Let's sleeping see. in a two-bedroom house. Uh, he's described as having <laughs> black hair, blue eyes. And according to Samra's reports, being an attractive person, I've seen pictures of Ken McElroy, and I personally disagree. But then again, <laughs> as Brian reaches for his phone <laughs> to look up a picture, I gotta look. Anyway, get to absolutely, you. absolutely. Uh, they don't uh, like a lot of books on this subject, uh, but they don't talk about him a whole lot until he drops out of eighth grade at fifteen years old. Which is uh, pretty old to be in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everything that I read about him describes him as being kind of functionally illiterate. Uh, he did stuff. He worked, but he was not very smart. Right. Um, then he sustained a head injury that, strangely enough, we see a lot in serial killer cases. He's riding on a hay wagon on his family's farm and he fell off and hit his head. It was a really bad injury, actually. En- enough that he needed to have a steel plate surgically implanted in his head. Um, like I said, every source that I found listed him as functionally illiterate, but that didn't stop him from being a fucking problem to everyone around him from the time he was a teenager until the time he died. This you said he was attractive, right? Listen, I People didn't say that. Attractive? I just several newspaper articles, like I read through it easily, like forty different articles. Uh. I saw from... pictures of him. Yeah. I disagree. Um, I'm... I'll, I'll tell you why I think he was successful with the ladies. Oh, my God. And it had nothing to do with his looks. 
Um, <laughs> but by the, by the time he was even just 13, he was already a regular at the Nottoway Police Department. Um, even though he'd quit school, he was very much still the school bully. Um, he robbed the children of other farmers who were doing better than his family was because he was jealous. Mm. Uh, he stole people's lunch money. Uh, and then he upgraded to stealing from local stores. On his way towards adulthood, he became a bit of a womanizer and a solid drunk. Um, well, like I said, while obviously someone found him attractive, in many of the reports that I read about him, he was a well-known skirt tracer and harasser of any woman who he thought was even remotely attractive. Um, now, most folks in his position make the shift from petty theft to cattle theft non-violently but not can wait is that is that how you're supposed to move from petty theft to cattles well we've noticed this we talked about the uh, i mean cattle thieves you uh, know i mean yeah like in yeah i guess if you're a farmer that remember is, ray and faye copeland yeah, we that's, talked about that that's your tree that you go down petty theft and you're generally going to you started smaller crimes but whatnot but um i'm just gonna tell you by the time he died he had almost two dozen felony charges Assault, grain theft, hog theft, uh, hog theft, <laughs> cattle theft, stealing gas, stealing alcohol, stealing antiques, child molestation, and statutory rape. Oh, excuse me. Whoa. Yep. Uh, his lawyer, who we will learn more about in a little bit, said that he had roughly three legal cases a year, and somehow he never spent more than a day in a county jail. So I'm rooting for this person to kill them. He even once pulled a gun on a town marshal, and when other cops refused to act because they were afraid of retaliation, the marshal quit. He also, the hotshot attorney, his name was Richard McFadden, got him off every single time, even when he nearly killed someone. But I will get back to that later. Now we're going to talk about him about the time he was 18. Okay. So he married a 17-year-old by the name of Oletta Marley Holland in 1952. She um, was not his one and only. Over the next decade, he fathered roughly eight children with several different women. He also had a thing for really, really young women. And he'd even hang out at junior high school playgrounds to meet them. And what he would do first is he would get close to the boys so that they liked him. And then that would give him access to the preteen girls so that he could groom them. Girls. He also picked really poor and uneducated families to prey on, um, giving the girls like cheap gifts and rides in his truck when they couldn't afford or had to walk. Um, then if that girl would get pregnant, he would pay off the families. And when that didn't work, he threatened them. So he was only with Aletta for a few years. And then he married a 15 year old girl named Sharon. While Sharon was pregnant, he began dating a 13-year-old girl named Sally. Why are you going backwards? When she didn't want to have sex with him, he beat her and threatened to murder her father. I don't like this. (laughs) She, of course, agreed after that. Uh, uh And he moved her in with his wife, Sharon. So I'm going to lay this out here. Sharon had children in 1961, 63, 64, and 65. Sally... Got pregnant in 1961, 63, and 64. So then at the end of 1964, when both his girlfriend and his wife 
were pregnant and had given birth to newborns. He met and moved in with a girl named Alice 50 miles south of Skidmore, pretty much abandoning his other family. She was 15. No, I'm just doing the math. So you had a wife, girlfriend. So Aletta also had like two kids. How, how many? So then we're at three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're at nine children now. Plus the plus the wife and the girlfriend. This is nine right now. So he shacks up with Alice south of Skidmore. She gets pregnant. And the same time that Alice went into labor in 1970, there was another girl named Marcia. Come on. And this was not at all because he was an amazing man. He beat every woman he was ever intimate with. Yeah, he was going after younger women. Um, he and he was also like some of the exes reported that he was sexually demeaning and sexually violent. So these weren't even enjoyable situations for these young girls. Right. Yeah. Um. So then in 1970, mind you, he's got Marcia and Alice. Who just gave birth. Both of them. So now we're at like 11 kids. Um, he took a liking to a 12-year-old girl named Trina Cloud. He was in his late 30s. 11 children. Living with both Alice and Marcia. But like he just had to have her. He did anything to be near her. Even going so far as to pay like teenage boys to pretend to like be her boyfriend. And those boys would pick her up from her parents' house. And then deliver her to ken and then that same boy would pick her up and take her home it's fucking gross i'm sorry this is oh it absolutely is disgusting um it got to the point where she would go to school on the school bus and then like immediately walk into the building walk out and go to his house um and it was a weirdly sort of openly known thing in town like people knew he was a pedophile but like no one was afraid to really like no one was uh, strong enough or willing enough mm. to go after him. Everyone was afraid. <sighs> You're going to find out why when you see just what his tactics were to avoid prison time. Um, he first got charged with cattle wrestling in 1972. And that's when he secured Richard McFadden, uh, the lawyer. Ken was able to pay well because he had all these illegal businesses and McFadden just gladly accepted the cash. For years, uh, the county around Skidmore reported the highest incidence of cattle wrestling than anywhere else in the state. And it is just specifically because of Ken McElroy. Um, he would show up at local bars with bags full to the brim of cash and sit next to the farmer who he had robbed. No. Like, I stole your cattle, and I got this money for it, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Oh, bet. <laughs> bet. <laughs> I'm going to find something to do about it. Oh, my God. Not surprisingly, two years after Ken meets Trina, she's pregnant. She drops out of school and moves in with Alice, essentially taking Marsha's place. Um, neither girl was very happy about this scenario, and they actually both tried to escape. Um, they ran to Alice's family's house and he showed up and forced them back into his car at gunpoint. Trina was only two weeks past giving birth, so he didn't beat the crap out of her. But in, he did indeed horribly 
maim Alice. Then he made Trina like strip and perform sexual acts for him. For his amusement, I suppose. Then he took her to her parents' house. They weren't there. Shot her dog in front of her. And then burned down her parents' house as she watched. What the hell? I know. What? Two days later, Trina ran away again. But this time, she told him she was taking the baby to like a first-time wellness appointment. Uh And it wasn't a lie. The thing was, at the doctor's office, she was super jumpy and very scared. And the doctor immediately took one look at her and was like, I know exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor called the police because he was like, she's obviously an abuse victim. She's terrified of like anyone getting close to her. They called social services. The baby was placed in foster care. And honestly, to keep Trina safe, they admitted her to a hospital and sedated her for like a, a significant amount of time. So a coma uh, kind of like. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Induced coma. So no one can see her. No one can talk to her. Hmm. Including mm-hmm. Ken. So uh, after a couple of interviews uh, and they investigate a little bit, they indict Ken McElroy for arson, assault, and rape in June of 1973. He's arrested, arraigned, and released on a $2,500 bail. As soon as he goes to gets out of jail, he goes to his lawyer with $15,000 in cash. Apparently, they had a situation where for every felony... He had to pay five thousand dollars. Is this like a you you buy a smoothie ten times and you get the eleventh one free? No, no. Every time you make me work this hard, you owe me five grand. Oh, okay. Uh, McFadden was honest with Ken and was just like, "Listen, um, these are going to be the toughest charges you've come up against so far. Um, if Tina, if Trina testifies against you, you're going to go to jail. So Trina and the baby go into foster care." But through bribes and intimidation, Ken figures out where the family lives and he starts sitting outside of their house every day. No. Sometimes for hours a day. The foster family would call the police and the police would come out and ask him to leave. But he was sure to be just at the edge of their property. Far, just far enough away that he legally wasn't doing anything wrong. Right, right, right. Now, mind you, I think this would fall under, like, modern-day stalking rules. Absolutely. But at the time, I don't think we had those. So it was, he's not on your property. He's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. Hmm. Um, once he learned the names of the family, he started calling and threatening them. Um, this was really traumatic for Trina, who started, like, to become hysterical anytime the phone rang. Because she thought it was him. Yeah. Um, one time, he even called the foster family... And told the mom that he knew what high school her other, her daughter was in. And that he was going to kidnap her. And then they could do a swap. You give me my girl and I'll give you back yours. Oh, come on. The- um, now, nice enough. The prosecutor responded to this behavior after being informed of it by adding eight more felony molestation charges yay <laughs> awesome from the prior two years of their relationship from two from her being 12 to 14 um <sighs> mcfadden managed to get the charges split up into two different trials the court dates would be set then reset then changed changed again After a year of just this pointless litigation, Trina decides, listen, I'm just going to go live with my grandmother. 
Like, she's family. Mm. Coincidentally, the day after, Sharon shows up at McFadden's office asking to divorce Ken. They hadn't spoken in years. Yeah, he left. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My God. Then Ken shows up to Trina's mother's parents' house asking her mother for her hand in marriage. And because Trina was only 14, she had to sign uh, paperwork. Right, right. And they found a judge same day and had and Trina married Ken McElroy. That's um, a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, then McFadden called the prosecutor just gleefully telling him that, well, the sole witness to all of these crimes is now Ken's wife. Okay, that doesn't matter. He's she- like, she can't be compelled to testify against him, which is true. Now, the thing is, the prosecutor could have pushed it. But it was highly unlikely that Trina would testify against him now that they were living together mm. because she was just too scared. Right. She was trapped. Um, but the next year, things kind of died down a little bit. Uh, then on July 27th, 1976, Ken McElroy tried to kill somebody. It wasn't Trina, was it? Mm-mm. Okay, good. He drove over to a farmer named Romaine Henry and he shot his shotgun in the air. Henry, you know, got out of his, you know, tractor, went over to him and was just like, what the hell, man? And so Ken is like, are you the motherfucker who is just on my property in a white Pontiac? And Henry is really confused and is like, no, I've been on my farm doing farm work. You know, doing my job. Right. Well, then Ken shot him in the stomach with a shotgun. Oh. And then as Henry like jumped back into his truck, he tried to shoot him again. That the buckshot hit him in his forehead and cheek. He must have not been that close because this wasn't a kill shot. Right. Because if it had been up close, this would have been murder instantly. Um, He was actually only able to get away because Ken's shotgun jammed because he was going to keep shooting at the car. Um, Henry's wife uh, drove him to a hospital in nearby town. Uh, Ken was arrested the next day. He was charged with assault with a tent to kill. Um, Ken denied even being there at the farm. Then he ran over to his lawyer's office in Kansas City. And the lawyer did the same thing he did before. Change of venue, trial delays. Then Ken did the same thing that he did to Trina. He would show up outside of the uh, the Henry property a hundred times between the arrest And the trial date. Of course, the Henry family complained to the sheriffs. Nothing happened. Mm. By the time the trial actually happened, unfortunately, McFadden got paired up with a brand new district attorney. And he wiped the floor with her. The prosecution had Henry and two neighbors testify that they saw him there. But McFadden got two coon hunters to lie and say that Ken was with them. And the jury voted for a full acquittal of all charges. Ken bragged around town. He was untouchable. He might as well have actually killed Romaine Henry. Yeah. So nobody was really surprised when a couple months later, when Romaine was out on his tractor, he got shot by a rifle. This time there were no witnesses and no trials. He didn't die, 
but he didn't push it after this. But it, it's well, it's obvious that this was revenge. Yeah. For putting him through the process of having to go to a trial. Well, you shouldn't have shot me, you dick. The situation that would be, that would kind of, the precursor that would eventually end his life started over a 10 cent piece of candy in 1980. My. You're so frustrated. No. 10 cents. 10 cent piece of candy. He can go to hell for that 10 cent piece of candy. Well, here's the thing. So this is what this situation starts the 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 cogs rolling. Oh, the domino. Over, the domino effect of what eventually leads to Ken McRoy being murdered. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's, get him, <laughs> let's kill him. So it's April 25th, 1980. Some of the McElroy children had stopped by a grocery store to buy candy. It was called Bose. Now, there was some sort of confusion with the kids all trying to pay for things at once. And one of the kids walked away with like a piece of candy without paying for it. The clerk called after the child and one of the older kids who was a teenager got really angry. She took the candy away from the little one and she threw it back on the counter and stormed off. Then another sister who was outside walked back into the store and yelled, no one accuses my sisters of stealing. Uh-oh. So the owners of the shop were Lois and Bo Bowencamp. They were relatively new in town. They'd lived there about eight years. Bo was almost 70 and Lois was nearly 50. Mm-hmm. They originally tried to talk and calm the kids down, but obviously any children of Ken McElroy were not chill kids. Right. Um, the older teenager yelled at them, and said, we'll never shop at your store ever again. Bo Bowencamp was like, well, that's great. <laughs> never come back. I love those kind of people. <laughs> he was like, absolutely. Leave and never come back, yes. you little, you know. <clears throat> Not surprisingly, though, about 20 minutes later, Ken McElroy shows up in his truck holding a knife. And Trina is right behind him. <sighs> She is, okay, not only is Trina behind him, but she is cussing out the Bowen camps and threatening to beat Lois's ass. Come on. She's 50. Leave her alone. Right. Lois is nearly 50. And like at this point, Trina's got to be like in her mid-20s. Yeah, definitely. So Bo is like, listen, this is just a misunderstanding. I never accused anyone of stealing. I just reminded the older girl that the little one hadn't paid yet. This seemed to calm everybody down. Mm -hmm. And then Ken was like, okay, cool. Just let me buy a pack of smokes. And Bo was like, nah, your whole family's banned from ever shopping here ever again. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that Ken McElroy could not let stand. Oh, you could have let him get a smoke. and then uh, like, I, hey, uh... <clears throat> Look, you could have just sold him the smoke and like, hey, just so you guys know, never come in here again. Nah, he would have been happy with that, though. He just wouldn't have been happy with any of that. This is true. Um, that night, uh, Ken sat outside of the shop for hours. Oh, come on. And then he followed the Bowen Camp's hole and circled the block around their house over and over and over. They, of course, complained to the local sheriffs and were told that oh, it's just Ken being Ken. Ignore it. Excuse it'll go, me. It'll no, stop. No, come get this crazy guy right now. So at one point, Ken calls because he was doing the phone call thing at this uh, point fucking phone books. and he goes i'll give you a hundred dollars if your wife fights my wife 
and that'll settle everything between us. And so Lois is like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, mind you, like Bo was more of a like a more subdued man. And Lois was definitely the more vocal out of all of them. Mm-hmm. In fact, she's one of the few people who consistently gave interviews about this whole situation. Whereas most people in the town after it happened wanted to not talk about it ever again. Um, the next day after that phone call, um, Ken and Trina show up outside of the Bowen camp house looking for a fight. Lois calls the police, but Ken had a police scanner in his truck and left before the state police arrived. The police told her, as long as the McRailways stay off your property, there's nothing we can do. Okay, but they keep coming onto my property. Well, they're not, though. They, you just said they came into the door. Nope, they're just driving around. And they, looking they're for staying a fight. just on the outskirt of the property. So in the equivalent of like how we live now, it would be like somebody like coming... Like stopping on the street where my apartment building is, mm-hmm. and then just being like, "Hey, Brittany, come out here, come fight me." Like technically, they haven't stepped onto the property, but I know they're here for me. And the implication is, if I leave my property, they're gonna hurt me. Mm-hmm. And that was the same thing that was happening here. Right. Like I'm not gonna step out. So you they're guys... they're in the street, and the street is public property. You ain't fighting in the streets. So it's about a month after the candy situation. Um, the milk Galroys are still parking outside on the street. Um, Lois watches from a window as Ken kind of patrols the area. This time for the first time, though, with a weapon. He's walking around with his shotgun. He, sh- he shoots twice in the air, leaves, then comes back and does it again. She reported the incident to the sheriffs again but the head sheriff roger cronk didn't follow like he told her like listen i'll follow a report i'll talk to him for you like he's just trying to scare you he didn't file a report he didn't even talk to them no he's trying to kill me <sighs> then june 8th 1980 um bobo and camp drove down to his store after hours to meet a repairman who was coming to look at the air conditioners inside the facility while he was now, mind you, he wasn't like in front of the building. Mm-hmm. He was out back, like breaking down boxes, and he was like cutting boxes with a knife, like you know, like a box cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, while he's waiting, Ken shows up and shoots him with a shotgun. There was a little boy nearby who found Bowen Camp like crumpled in the back on top of all the boxes. The cops showed up really fast, and before Bo Bowen Camp passed out, they asked him one question: Who shot you? Absolutely. And Bo replied, Ken McElroy. Duh, the guy I've been complaining about for these past freaking months. For like three months now. Like, come on. Y'all could have stopped this. Well, McElroy got arrested a couple hours later. Um, He, of course, didn't know nothing about nothing. Of course not. He called his lawyer. He got released on a $30,000 bond. That night, he and Trina were at a town bar celebrating. Bo, like I said, he survived, but it was touch and go. He spent 10 days in the hospital. And as soon as he got out, the intimidation tactics started again. Come on. Even a minister like tried to stop by the Bowen Camp house just to like talk to them, offer them some comfort. That minister started getting phone calls from someone saying, you need to mind your own business. Stay out of this. Mm-hmm. Which was another facet of the intimidation. Isolation. Yo. Anybody who offered help to the Bowen Camps would get the intimidation too. So nobody wanted to step in. Nobody wanted to help because nobody wanted that smoke. 
Bo, see me in the street. I want that smoke. I mean, not Bo, freaking Ken. <laughs> Ken, see me in the street. I want the smoke. You're lucky you're dead. I get, I, you get the smoke right now. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, this is pissing me off. <laughs> like, mm. it, like this, this, uh, this isolation thing, it actually really worked, though, because uh, there were letters that Lois wrote to the governor, mm-hmm. the attorney general, and state legislators. And, like, she was pleading for anyone to help her. Like, she said, like, are we to live in fear for the rest of our lives? Like, yeah, yo, 50 and 70. Like, why is he harassing his old people? Well, Ken began telling folks at the bars that Bo had tried to kill him with the knife. And that the shot was in self-defense. He's 70. Something that didn't really make sense because why the hell were you even out there, one? Mm-hmm. And also, you're in your 40s, scared of a man 30 years older than you. Then he went to the part-time town marshal, David Dunbar, and asked him, so are you going to testify against me at the trial? And Dunbar's like, listen, I might have to. So Ken says, I'll kill anyone who would put me in jail. Then takes his shotgun out of his truck and points it at the cop. Dunbar calls him down, then radios the sheriff's office to tell them what happened. And they tell him, don't provoke McElroy. There's nothing we can do. You just got to keep an eye on him. Monday morning, Dunbar waltzes into town hall and turns his badge in. He's like, listen, I got a family. I got kids. I'm not going to die over this stupid ass job, especially if the rest of y'all aren't going to help. True, true. Dunbar later found out that Ken had been threatening the state police officers who had arrested him. Uh, That one, his name was Richard Stratton. And he was doing drive-bys to scare Stratton's wife while Stratton was at work. So Stratton's going and being a state police officer, you know, riding the highways. Yeah. And Ken is riding, like he must have had like, I don't know when he had time to work. He was threatening Lois, driving by her house. He was threatening police officers' wives. He was riding by, like, he must have had, like, a very strange stalking schedule. Like. Going to people's houses at night. When did he have time to live? He didn't. That was his life. That was his life. Regardless, uh, McFadden used every legal trick that he could to delay the trial. He got it moved 75 miles away to another town named Bethany, Missouri, making it really inconvenient for everyone. How do you do that? Essentially, telling the judges, Ken has a bad history with a lot of people who work in Skidmore. I wonder why. If we have the trial in Skidmore, it won't be fair. So we should put it somewhere else where the people don't know any of the people involved. Uh Uh-uh. That way, you know, it can be a fair trial among his peers. It's... Yeah, of his peers in Skidmore, mm-hmm. where you assault everybody so they moved there. Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> um, it got rescheduled multiple times. Mind you, this happened in like June of 1980. The official trial began June 25th, 1981. He was able to push it off for a year. Um, the prosecutor in Bethany was only three years out of law school, but he did a good job. Um, and he just presented a very straightforward case. He was just like, listen. He went to this old man's store. Had he not even been there, nothing would have happened. Right. Why was he behind this grocery store anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and like- McFadden pulled the same thing he did before. 
he got a couple of the McElroy's coon hunting friends to say that they saw him on Main Street at the moment the shooting happened. And they also saw Bo Bowenkamp try and stab McElroy. They were just straight line. They were just paying people to lie at this point. I hate this. And interestingly enough, one of the witnesses, one of the coon hunting women, like when the prosecution asked, okay, this was nine months ago. Like, why did you wait nine months with this testimony if you were there and you saw it happen? Yeah, this has just been brought up to our attention now. She had no response. Exactly. You can liar. Um, after closing statements, the jury the, the trial lasted about a week. Um, uh, and the jury very quickly voted to convict him of Thank assault. You. Awesome. So for the first time in his 47 years of life, he was receiving the consequences for his actions. Now, the, they were also allowed in this situation to give him any kind of sentence, even life in prison. But because the trial was 75 miles away, none of the jurors knew who this guy was. And in Missouri law at the time, you were not able to bring up prior charges that did not result in convictions. So those 23 other like felony charges, mm-hmm. no one knew about, no one knew about, no one was allowed to even bring those up to the jurors because none of them were convictions. Mm-hmm. So the jury voted for second degree assault with a recommendation of two to four years in prison. The judge was like, two years sounds good to me. Four years, uh, more, more years could, could mm-hmm. be more, more. McElroy made bail and his lawyer prepared <laughs> for an appeal, which was going to be 25 days away. <sighs> Come on. Four days after his conviction, he walked into his favorite bar in town holding an M1 assault rifle with a sharpened bayonet. Now, he was actually looking to sell the gun, but he couldn't resist rubbing this in people's faces that he was going to get away. He said he was going to use it to kill Bo Bowenkamp. Um, He was going to shoot Bo in the head and then carve him up like a turkey with the bayonet. One of the men in the bar, who was a retired farmer named Pete Ward, got really upset and stormed out. He went and got his sons and a few others who all decided they were going to protect the Bowen Camp family. Ward and several others all signed affidavits saying, this is what we saw and this is what we heard in the bar. Um, the local prosecutor attempted to get McElroy's bail revoked as he was making open public threats against Bo Bowenkamp, someone who he had been convicted of assaulting. And someone who he said he was defending himself against. In any (laughs) other place in America, that would be an instant trial and an an instant bail trial and an instant, like, you're back in prison. Mm -hmm. You wait out these next 25 days for the appeal, in jail. Yeah. The judge said it can wait for five days and set the bail trial for July 10th. But But here's the thing. The the residents of Skidmore were like, okay, whatever. It's going to happen in Bethany. Who cares? We're going to go together. And they were like, all right, July 10th. Everybody meet at um, the town legion hall. We're going to go travel together. And then when the judge asks, like, why he shouldn't be allowed, like, bail, Mm -hmm. everyone's going to speak as to why he shouldn't be allowed bail. Mm -hmm. So July 10th gets there. And the people wake up to find out that McFadden got the trial bumped to July 20th, saying that he had a uh, conflict 
in his court schedules. Oh, really? And so he wouldn't be able to get there on July 10th because, remember, he's from Kansas City, so that's like the capital. So he's busy man, busy man. Um, He said he's a conflict. He's like, can you push it to the 10th? I'll be available on the 20th. Push it from the 10th to the 20th. Mm-hmm. Now, McFadden says he told Ken in the meantime, these next, you know, 10, 15 days, just stay out of Skidmore. Hang out on your farm. Be there with your family. You got a family. You dumbass. We don't know if that's true or not. We well, don't know if McFadden actually Well, I don't really care what he told said. him that. But we know what we know one thing is Ken did not stay out of Skidmore. Obviously, because he's a dumbass. There were 60 people at the Legion. And they were like, you know what? It got bumped, but it honestly just turned into a bitch fest. Like with everybody who was there complaining about something that Bo, that, that uh, Ken McElroy had done to them or to somebody they knew. Like they were all just sitting around complaining. And someone suggested that a local sheriff from the nearby town of Maryville come over. And so they wanted to, the sheriff's help to know how to protect the town since their own cops were useless. Mm-hmm. And also since it was reasonable to assess that those four people that signed that affidavit were also going to be at risk from Ken McElroy at this point. Absolutely. So Sheriff Danny Estes um, did come and talk to them. He told uh, the newspaper, the Maryville Daily Forum, that someone suggested a town watch there. And he said, this is a direct quote. They wanted to know what they could do to protect themselves. Basically, the questions concerned, could they be allowed to patrol each other's houses and farms? Mm -hmm. Um, About an hour later, after that meeting, they wouldn't need a town watch anymore. An hour later? An hour later. Oh, why why is that? Why no, no town watch? So the next details are speculations by local, state, and federal law enforcement of what happened over the next hour before Ken McElroy died. Okay. Somehow, Ken heard that he was the talk of the town that morning, and he couldn't resist coming into the city to throw it in people's faces that he was a free man. Just before 11, he parked his brand new Chevy Silverado on Main Street. He didn't park it at the bar. He parked it on Main Street so that people would be able to see that it was him. Typical Ken behavior. Mm-hmm. Then he and Trina walked to the same bar they loved. He ordered a beer, camel cigarettes, and some Rolates. The Legion Hall session ended and people walked onto Main Street and saw McElroy's car. Now, Sheriff Estes had headed back out to his office at the Nottaway County Police Office, which was about 15 miles north. The Legion crowd, knowing that that was Ken McElroy's car, and, and walked all... to the bar knowing he'd be inside. Right. About 30 people went outside and the 30 people went inside. And they did a Ken. Some of them bought a couple drinks, but they stood there and they watched. Ken decided to go. He bought a six-pack of beer for the road home. He walked out to his truck. At this point, there are about 45 people outside. (laughs) Not counting other people in town who aren't aware of what's going on. Just walking about doing their business, buying groceries and all that jazz. Right. Trina gets in the passenger side. McElroy gets behind the wheel. Witnesses say that he almost like he smiled and he almost like posed 
with a cigarette near his mouth like he was about to like light it. But before he could get a chance to light it, two shots rang out from the left, four from the rear, and some others from other locations. Hmm. Some of the witnesses hit the ground. Other people started running. Trina began screaming, <laughs> covered in the blood of her husband. Uh, some witnesses pulled her out of the car and away from the scene. Sheriff Estes hadn't even made it back to his office yet when he heard the call on the radio for a shooting in Skidmore. He turned around quickly, very obviously saw it was Ken McElroy. The Chevy was full of bullet holes. Despite four dozen witnesses on the street, more in the bar, further down Main Street, nobody saw a thing. Nobody knew. Nobody knows. Not even the men sitting around the car. <laughs> so weird. Now, the original local police do like a little round of interviews, and they very quickly realize no one's going to talk. So then they bring in a task force of 23 officers from six different law enforcement agencies in the state. They bring in the 35 men who were directly around the car. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, we heard shots, then we all dropped. A Missouri sheriff named Gary Howard told the local paper, we had 35 leads and 35 leads said nothing and heard nothing. I like it. They set up a tip line, put it on TV. Nobody called. Nobody left any tips. Nobody's going to. On July 20th, Ken was buried in the city of St. Joseph, which was a smart decision because I can only imagine <laughs> what would have happened had they tried to bury him close to Skidmore at all. Desecration. Absolutely. <laughs> so much desecration. Absolutely. Oh, um, God. That same day, the police <clears throat> turned over all of their information um, to the county prosecutors who had been trying to prepare for this trial, which was super weird. Um they gave him Sheriff Estes' testimony about the Legion Hall meeting, the coroner's report. Um, it was presented to a jury, like a grand jury. Trina testified along with law enforcement and several of the men who were there, um, including the postmaster, Jim Hartmore, Skidmore Mayor, Steve Peter, and Red Smith, a bartender who was working at the tavern. Would you like to know what the grand jury's ruling was? Please tell me. Ken McElroy died from bullets fired by a person or persons unknown. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. No arrest warrant was issued because of insufficient evidence. I mean, the justice system sucks, but hey, <laughs> this time, <laughs> hey, hey, this time, hey, I like it. Three weeks after that, a state grand jury tried their hand at making sense of this. They met 15 times over five weeks. Listen to the same witnesses, spoke to Sheriff Estes, Romaine Henry, Bo Bowenkamp. They even heard from Del Clement. So Del Clement was the son of the tavern mm -hmm. that the, this happened near. Um, it was called D&G. Trina named him as someone she remembered seeing holding a rifle when she had been pulled out of the car. And forensic analysis showed that at least one of the shots had come from the direction where Del Clement was standing. Hmm. But 34 other witnesses said that they had not seen Del Clement pull a rifle and shoot it at Del, Del, McElroy. Del was there? What? what? I didn't even know Del was there. 
what are you talking about? I saw. I knew everybody in that crowd, and I did not see that. We little... were like at the. We were there at the Legion for hours. Yeah. Nobody saw Dell. I didn't see that boy. Is you talking about? The jury seemed to think that the testimony of a wife who had been shot at and seen her husband murdered was not substantial enough to indict Dell. Like, like I said, justice system sucks, but this time kind of wears out a little bit. So the U.S. Department of Justice ordered an FBI investigation. Oh my God! This really? Re- oh, no, no, no! Hold! Don't, don't even continue! Don't continue right now! Hold on! They get into the FBI now over this one stupid guy who's been terrorizing this whole town. All the cops have been coming after him. Like, and then the cops stop coming after him. Everybody's reporting him and stuff. But now that he's dead and nobody knows what's going on, now that the FBI is going to fuck that shit. So this is one of those interesting situations. And it's kind of like how people go like, I saw this TikTok the other day that said, if everyone stopped paying taxes, they wouldn't have enough money to charge us for pay, like to, to prosecute us for not paying taxes. Yeah, because nobody's paid taxes. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like that here. When the people refuse to participate, in the justice system, that's it. Yeah, but they... they the, the people refuse to participate in the system, and therefore it broke. Yeah, they're, but they're going extra, oh, yeah. extra I mean, hard. Well, I think they probably don't like the fact that that happened, and I wonder if maybe they thought they could apply a little pressure and get people to talk. This man has raped people. He's a freaking child molester, pedophile. Mm-hmm. Come on, who? Mm. But listen, remember, you're always hoping that one person, you know, that the squeaky wheel. Nobody's going to crack. Well, they interviewed the witnesses in the winter and the spring, and they all met the same wall of I sit, didn't see nothing in spring of 1982. A federal grand jury hears all of the same testimony and no one gets indicted. In the fall of 1982, they actually like turned over this like, oh, we we found some new evidence to the prosecutor. And he wasn't impressed at all. And his name was Baird. And he made a public statement that said, after careful consideration and evaluation, I've determined there is not current sufficient evidence with which to establish guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is where the case sits today, 40 years later. Because no one's going to talk. No one has talked. I bet your grandparents have passed the story down to their grandchildren, and the grandchildren are still not going to talk. Well, so the question next is, what happened next, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, In 1984, Trina filed a wrongful death suit against the town of Skidmore for $5 million with the help of McFadden. Um, She specifically filed against Sheriff Estes, Mayor Peter, and Del Clement. Leave Del alone. He wasn't there. God. (laughs) Del wasn't there. What are you talking about? Del wasn't there. God. Goodness. Um, They settled um, for $17,600. You can get $17.50. How about that? The town paid 12600 of it. Um, Mayor Peter paid $2,000 and Dell 3000 I would have paid nothing. Dell, you weren't there. Why would you pay anything? <laughs> um, no um, one admitted any guilt during this trial. This was just not. a civil suit. Yeah. Um, they only settled because legal fees were expensive and they were like, nobody has money for McFadden to drag this out for like five more years. Oh, true, true, true. Okay, okay. That makes sense. In 2001, 
Del Clement did an interview with the Kansas City Star, and he told them, like, legitimately, I said what I said. (laughs) The direct quote is, after 20 years of it, it might be an anniversary for you, but it's not for me. Everything I ever said about it has been said before. I wasn't there. (laughs) My name is Del Clement and I was not there. I did not have a rifle in my hand at all. I I may, I did not shoot any six shots. So you are Bill Clintoning this as Del. Yeah. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I was not at this shooting. I don't know what you're talking about. My rifle. Nothing happened. Exactly. My rifle has exactly all the bullets I needed. I mean, did not need strike that. Um, so as far as the folks in Nottaway County, um, the belief is that people have an idea of who they think the two to three shooters were. There definitely were at least two because they came from at least two different locations. Right. Um, the prosecutor Baird, um, he continued working for quite some time. Um, he said in another interview that, um, it's one of those things where like, they think it's like a big town secret, but he actually thinks that not that many people know what happened because it was chaos. And that this, this wasn't a, like, it's very much when you look this up, like online, mm-hmm. uh, a town of vigilantes conspired to kill a man. No, I think that this kind of just was like, uh, it was a boiling point and a couple of people snapped at the same time. It's, um, yeah, I know what you mean. Heat of the moment type of thing. Yeah, it very much seems like it was more of a heat of the moment situation. This was not a vigilante killing. This was not a whole town conspired to right, murder a right, man. Right, because they didn't plan this. No, their like, plan was to go support, like, support Bo Bowen camp yeah. at the trial. Yeah, but no, instead people were upset because this guy wanted to go brag with his freaking Chevy Silverado. Um, so He's, a lot of this writing uh-huh. was based off of a book. Like a lot of my research started with the book in broad daylight it's by Henry McLean. He does have a heavy vigilante concept. Mm. I just disagree with him. Um, there's, there also was a, there's a movie called in broad daylight too. That's about this. Oh. I never watched it. Maybe you should watch um, that. So I can maybe so you can, uh, relive Ken McElroy dying a second time on screen. <laughs> yeah. Just like, Hey, Brittany, stop. Rewind that. <laughs> ah, there we go. Wait, there goes Dell. I see Rewind Del. that. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I saw I saw Del right back there. He was back there behind the truck. Um, Sheriff Estes has said over and over again that at no point while he was in the Legion with that group of 60 people that they ever discuss anything like that. Yeah. He wouldn't have allowed it. Um, he's like, they only spoke about nonviolent means to protect the Bowen camps. He also does not believe in this general theme of vigilantism. Yeah, because if it was if they were really vigilantes, they would have done something earlier. Mm hmm. I agree too. I feel like if this was a town full of vigilantes, like they would have taken him out years ago. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, 100%. He was just a total son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, many writings that I looked at uh, described this as the crime that won't go away. They called it a nightmare, a scab that keeps getting picked by people in the true crime community. Oh, hey. Like us. Hi. <laughs> and Skidmore, like I told you at the beginning, is just as small as it used to be. In fact, smaller now with about 300 to 350 residents. Um, as for the people in this story, Trina got married and moved away, mm. remarried and moved away. Uh, McElroy's 15 children are scattered around the northwest of Missouri. I was about to ask. Uh, nearly everyone involved is almost retired now, except for the children. Um, Bo Bowen Camp 
died 10 years later. Oh. Um, natural causes. Good. Lois went on to serve on the town council. Romaine Henry died in 2012 of natural causes. Uh, Lois, like I said, was one of the few people who's been willing to talk to the media about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And she says the same thing in like different ways. I, I saw like a similar quote like this multiple times. The town is well rid of him. Justice is served. She's understandably resentful. Obviously. Um, she did an interview with the Kansas City Star in 2001. And she actually said if they had done something to tell him he couldn't violate other people's rights, it might have made a difference. I still don't think there was any sense in it having to go as far as it did. And nobody would have been put in jeopardy. Yeah. Like how many years was this man terrorizing this town? His like, majority of his life. Exactly. His whole like. Uh. And I would like to end this on probably more of a, a lighter note. Okay. Do you remember Marshall Dunbar? No. Yeah. I remember the name. The one who he pulled a gun on and yes. he turned in his badge. Yes. Um, he had a little bit different point of view when he was interviewed. He said, it really was a shame about the Silverado. That was really a nice truck. That's, see, and it was a new one, too. <laughs> it was new. What, I knew you would agree. What color was it, though? Um, I don't remember. It, they just, I think it was white. He liked white cars, apparently. Uh, but I mean, he said shame, that really though. was a nice truck. That is a nice truck. In fact, what, the 80s? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Mm, yeah. Those are classics. <laughs> that was the the story that kind of piqued my interest this week i originally heard about it, a little bit about it uh a couple years ago on buzzfeed unsolved uh-huh. but then i got more into the details and i'm like they only briefly discussed how horrible ken McElroy was i wasn't prepared for him to be just that there are almost no redeeming qualities about this he person. was a terrible human being and just makes you go. And I don't mean to quote Samuel L. Jackson right now, but yes, he deserved to die, and I hope he burns in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, that's that's my story for the week. Oh, hell, freaking lovely. Hey, what's up? It's Brian again. <laughs> you act like we just weren't talking. <laughs> okay, this this week I am not bringing the chaos energy. Okay, with the so men- <laughs> this week you are not attempting to make me angry. Not intentionally, no. Okay, not intentionally. Oh, <laughs> uh, so this week I'm going to be talking about something I don't think I've talked a lot about on this podcast um and that's hauntings okay. so so now like i i know i've talked about we talked about the ones irish or is it scottish what's that it was the naked lady who like came okay to the priest okay. <laughs> 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 i didn't mean to say it that way but like that's definitely the way he said like she came to me yeah with no clothes on okay, see, while i was at the mansion it's not a mansion but i forget the name of that place. it was a rectory the rectory but um yeah, but that was like, like bro, you need to pray. That was for that um, was the devil. That was like the devil coming to Jesus while while he was in the wilderness. <laughs> that just reminds me of that one scene in Ghostbusters when Ray is dreaming and there's a ghost like above his bed and then she disappears and then she unzips his pants. Oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> and he has a great night. 
in his dream. Anyway, anyway, that was just that one time, though. I mean, I've talked about haunted dolls, uh, the freaking letter, and then I talked about the haunted painting. Right. But Which, for the record, some of my friends still talk about. Oh, my God. Hey guys, how's it going? My, uh, my, uh, actually, the artist who's designing all of our like potential like merch stuff, yeah, uh, was just like, I looked at the paintings. I remember the first one, but the others, <laughs> I don't like them. <laughs> That's exactly what they said to me. Tell, t- I don't, I don't, I didn't like the other ones. I didn't know there were more. Tell them our artwork is going to be haunted. Just, just so they <laughs> no, <laughs> they're still, Alistair's still writing it, drawing. I, I imbue it with haunted energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're such a mess. Anyways, I've been wanting to cover like this story for a while, so please indulge me um, while you listen to this story. <clears throat> I'm here. This is a story about a house in Atchison, Kansas. Uh, yes, Kansas. Um, it's named the Sally House. Have you heard of this? Um, yes. So... Before I get started, this lovely quest, um, I want to, you know, give my sources for today, um, somethingwicked.com, and an episode of A Haunting, um, where most of you have seen this, probably. It's uh, season two, episode six. It's called Would Sally House. Would you like to know where I saw it? Where'd you see it? BuzzFeed Unsolved. Really? Within, like, one of the first the early seasons, they visited the Sally House, they visited the Island of the Dolls, and the Winchester Mystery House. Hmm. Ryan had no chill. Of course not. He was very afraid. Of course. All the time. (laughs) Well before Shane uh, Shane Madej did the, uh, what's up, demons? It's me, your boy. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like one of the most quotable internet things in the last like four or five years in the spook community. Mm -mm. Yeah, it was. That's the first time I'd ever heard of it. Yeah, I think I, the first time I saw it was on a haunting. I never saw the episode on a haunting, so now I want to. Yeah, I had to, I had to get it on my iPad to watch it just to recap. It's and stuff. pretty old. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime actually. If Ooh, you want to watch it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can watch it afterwards. I don't know um, if I want to watch it tonight in the dark. It's not that bad. It's not really scary. It's not like this. Like this, the story is kind of scary, but the the, the acting on that's just oh, so it's it's just like the other shows I like, like Paranormal Witness. I mean, a haunting with the bad re yeah. like react. The acting yeah but a haunting was like the first like actual like you know i'm gonna tell my scary story about this stuff i mean i feel like that came out when we were like in high school yeah it did like okay. it's, it's that old um and i also like okay so i was reading down some, something with wicked and i saw another source and it's from a podcast that i actually listened to mm-hmm. but I, I don't think i've listened to this episode it's actually um it's called the podcast is called and that's why we drink i've heard of this okay um the two hosts, um, Em and Christine. Mm-hmm. I love Christine. Em is funny. I love this podcastception. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I think I listened to this episode before. I just want to give a little shout out to them in case anybody wants to listen to that as well. It's like their ninth episode. It's like a very early episode oh, of theirs. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're still pretty early in our podcast journey, too. But no, no. They're like an episode like 400 now. They're oh, all, Lord. They're like years of uh, beyond us um well let's hope we get a long long podcast life like that too. there you go um so yeah i just want to give a little shout out to that so let's get into this story so this house w- was built in 1867 for the finney family that's f-i-n-n-e-y um 
they they lived in the house up until 1947. So for 80 years, this house was passed down throughout the family. <clears throat> until it got to the final Finney uh, member, Dr. Charles Finley. Finney. Uh, now, why isn't it called the Finney House? We'll get to that. Um, I want to also, like, whenever Dr. Charles was in there, it was also an operating practice. Uh, so, he... So. See, we talked about that last week with Harold Shipman. Mm. Old, like, doctors just used to do house calls. Yeah, but he did it in his house. Yeah, I don't think I would want to go to another person's house. <laughs> then again, maybe I don't want someone to go to my house either, because they might murder me. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so there are a couple of different versions of the legend of the Sally House. Mm-hmm. Let's see which one I know. Okay, so a mother rushes over to Dr. Finney's house, carrying her daughter uh, named Sally. Sally's complained about abdomen problems. Um, the doctor found out that she, it was her appendix and that it had ruptured and it needed to be taken out mm-hmm. immediately. So Dr. Finney gets her all prepped, sedates her, but she's still conscious. Um, he didn't realize she was still awake while he was operating on her. Oh. So she eventually died in that procedure from the uh, blood loss and shock. Did you hear that one? Yeah, no, I didn't hear that. <laughs> okay, so another story is that Sally actually lived in the house and died of another not good appendix removal. Um, Interesting. There's another story uh, is that Sally was suffering from respiratory issues and uh, the doctor didn't understand how severe it was at the time um and it sent her home later she died of pneumonia (sighs) okay see i want to talk to you about this but i don't want to spoil anything just in case we can probably get to that one later okay i think i know what you're talking about okay so i'm just gonna say anything because i don't want to ruin it okay but like that yeah there's just there's there's another one there's there 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 are other ones um i will give at the end okay But these are like the precursors to the actual haunting of the Sally house. So was there a little girl who was named Sally that lived there, who visited there, and blah, 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 all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll find that out later. Next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Every time. This is like the multiple times now you have brought Dragon Ball Z into this event. Look. I will do what I can to bring Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> okay, anyway. <clears throat> so, since Dr. Finney was the last of the Finney uh, line, the house wasn't passed down to any, you know, it couldn't have been because he was dead. Um, no babies? The line. I don't think he had babies, no. Aww. We'll get to that later. Um, but different families did come to live there. They rented it out. Um, but they didn't stay long because of certain paranormal activities happening. Now, this is when the Pickman family moves in. Okay. Um, in 1993, Troy and Deborah Pickman rent out the house. They were expecting a baby boy. Um, they had finally settled, it, settled in the house. Uh, you know, they got all comfortable. This is a new house for them. They're newlyweds. Um, so, and they're having, like, they're just fresh. They're just, everything's oh, new yeah. to them. They got a new house, new baby, new marriage. Let's go. And <laughs> frisky. So a month is going by, and the house has been relatively quiet. 
Um, then the activity begins. Okay. TVs start turning on suddenly. Nothing major, right? Just weird stuff. The TV just no, turns. No, 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 no. I've, I, I have experienced a situation <laughs> like that before. That is very alarming. <laughs> okay, for them, it wasn't that big a deal. They wrote it off. They wrote it off as like electrical issues or something like what? that. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that is a very unsettling experience to be like. That was definitely turned off, or that thing was definitely not there, and now it's there. <laughs> That's super upsetting. Yeah. For anybody logical, yeah. Yeah. Logical, yeah, thinking, yes. That's very unsettling. Uh, So it's summertime now. A couple months have passed. Um, Since I think they moved into March. So it's like summer. I don't know what month. Um, They made it through winter? Yeah. No, they moved into March. So March, April, May. Oh, okay. Sorry. I had it backwards. (laughs) No, you're fine. I think it's March now. They moved in. I got you. So, Deb gives birth you to the... said words. Listen, I didn't, it's, it's I just okay. didn't meet him. It's okay. Deb gives birth to her son. Okay. Um, Deb's sister is in town to, you know, help out with the baby. What uh, families do. You know, because newborns are stressful, sort of. Not really. I mean, they really just mess up, fuck up your sleep, and that's really... <laughs> I mean, that's all they really do. Like, there's... They're cute. Yeah, they don't really, like, newborns aren't really that big of a problem. Until they start talking and walking and start getting into the stuff, that's when you get the problems. Okay. Ask me about my my life. <laughs> oh, my God. You make it sound like you're not happy. I am happy. But you, like. I love my children so freaking much. <laughs> yeah. You and your ex be, like, <laughs> gone from them for one day and are like. I miss them. Shut up. <laughs> so you <clears throat> like to complain, but I know better. I don't know what they're doing. I want to talk to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Anyway, whatever. Because you care. I care enough. <laughs> Any- anyway, there's a room they made up for the baby. You know, they got a crib, stuffed animals. Ba- they always attack the baby. Don't baby they? stuff. Ah, uh, wait, no. So one day, Tony notices something strange. In their son's room. Mm-hmm. There are stuffed animals arranged in a circle in the middle of the floor. Around the baby? No. Oh, that's good. Um, so he gets Deb and her sister to check it out. And they chalk it up to a joke. A joke played by Tony's brother, Greg. Okay. Um, that's just Greg Joshin. Yeah, this, 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 yeah, this is a classic. This is classic Greg. Yeah, just Greg. I, I mean, God. I don't even Greg. know why you question this. This is obviously something Greg would do. I don't know how he got in the house, but you know, he's, he's Greg's yeah. just coming in, <laughs> rearranging stuffed animals randomly. Mm-hmm. Um. So they, after you know, they they have a good laugh. They put the toys away. Right. Minutes later, Deb. Walks past the room again, finds stuffed animals back in a circle in the middle of the floor. Now, this yeah. whole, like I said, the whole time they think it's Tony's brother, Greg, pulling the pranks. So the next day, when Greg comes over and he's like, dude, like, this is what he says on, well, you know, the, the actor that says it on the a haunting. Oh, yeah. I'm here he, he says, um, I wasn't even home that night. So obviously it wasn't me. And I was like, well, obviously you weren't home because you're at their house for a prank. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, stupid. 
but he's like, I'm not even like I wasn't even like around the area, so obviously it wasn't me. Um, so he has, he he's like he claimed he has nothing to do with it at all. So Greg, not believing, you know that this happened, he obviously is like, what you think you got a ghost there? <laughs> That's there you go, Greg. You got it. Buddy. Yeah. So. He picks up one of uh, Tony's cameras and, like, you know, they have the little uh, get your develop film stuff. Oh, old time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he starts egging on his spirit. He, you know, he starts taking pictures here, there, everywhere. And he's like, and then he goes to take a picture, takes a picture of um, a teddy bear, right? And he's like, let's get a picture of you. And as soon as he takes the picture of the bear, it suddenly like moves. Nice. Yep. So thoroughly creeped the fuck out. Um, they all fled from the house. So that's Deb, ah. Tony, and Greg. They, I hope they took the baby with yeah, them. Yeah, they take they take the baby with them. Um, they all flee the house and they are planning to go to Tony's parents' house. Um, as they're making their escape, Tony feels a sharp stinging sensation on his back. Mm-hmm. He shrugs it off, and you know they head to his parents' house. When they all arrive there, you know, Deb checks out his back and she finds like three long scratch marks on his back. Like, they're very fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, now they're, you know, convinced that there's a spirit doing this. So, I read this on Something Wicked. It says, reportedly, the first attack was actually in the surgery room that Dr. Finney used. Uh, and I guess Tony had walked into it. He said he felt some like a cold presence wash over him. Oh, okay. And then he received three. Was it three? It doesn't say three. I just he just received long bloody scratches on his arms. So that may have been the first attack, or the one where they're leaving the house. <clears throat> I have, I have, I have thoughts. Yes. You, you, don't want, you don't want to say them yet, do you? I'm waiting. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so Greg suggests that they get a medium to come Absolutely. check out the Why house. Not? You know, three days later. This uh, is three, like, okay, uh, this is talk. like that moment in the zombie TV show where everybody acts like they've never heard of a zombie before. <laughs> like, what are these things? Why are these people coming back from the dead? What do we call them? Oh, uh, yeah. We should call them rattlers. <laughs> rattlers. Like, nobody <laughs> in the history of the world. <sighs> you don't want to say the Z word. They don't want to say the Z word. In this situation, I don't want to say the D word. <laughs> like, really? Oh... <laughs> uh... Let's just leave that one right there. Yep, I'm going to leave it alone. We're going to put put a pin in that real quick. Yep. Uh, So three days later. It's it's so frustrating because to me it's so obvious. The second something like this happens to you, if we're like in a house together. Yeah. I'm calling in the Calvary. We're not just going to pew pew this and be like, oh, let's just bring in a medium to talk to us. So. We insult rings. (laughs) Bringing in the Winchesters. Oh my God! Doing it all. Scooby Doo and crew too. Ugh. 
<laughs> anyway, continue. They bring in this <clears throat> bum ass medium. Uh, um, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, Barbara Connor. Okay, appears. Barb. I'm not gonna smack you. <laughs> <laughs> appears and gets a reading from the child's room. She sees that it's a young girl spirit named Sally who has died in the house. Mm -hmm. So this is why this is specifically why they named it the Sally house because this young girl was the first spirit that, you know, people knew of. Barbara suggests that they get, you know, Sally some toys to play with, you know, Deb's down with it. Deb's like, yeah, hell yeah, let's get some toys for this ghost. Tony's like, um, I don't think that's a very good idea. I don't think we should be, like, even talking to it. Smart man. Because um, he thinks something is off about the spirit. <clears throat> Either way, Deb goes out <laughs> to get Sally some of her own toys. And she actually, I think she gets, a, like, a little crib for her, too. I think that's what it showed in the in the TV show. Um, you know, just so she can have her little space to play with her own stuff. Um, but she also gets the pictures developed that were taken. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see, um, in some of the pictures, there's a like bluish swirling mass. Okay. So, you know, active playism. And in, in some Orbs. of the pictures, um, Barbara has said that, um, the bluish swirling mass uh, showed positive energy of happiness and kindness. Um, Deb also, you know, there's or, or, there are more pictures, of course. Um, there's there's one of the doorway of the baby's room, mm-hmm. and there was a black mass in that picture. Oh, interesting. Is it, that also positive energy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... yeah, you are. <laughs> Look Yo, here. I don't think I could ever, like, not that I don't believe that mediums exist. I just don't believe in any I can find in the phone book. <laughs> this is true. It just seems like a scam. Mm-mm. So after, you know, all this stuff, the Pikmin start seeing an apparition of a young girl that they believe to be Sally. Tony actually saw the, the girl first and he quickly drew a sketch of her. Um I have seen the sketch. You've seen the sketch. Okay. I have indeed. Awesome. So I don't need to show it to you. Nope, then. you don't. I know. <laughs> I, in my mind's eye, I know exactly the picture he saw. That's a creepy little picture, though. It's not good. It's not good. It don't look like a little girl I know. <laughs> it, it looks like, oh my God. Like, how'd you explain such a face? <laughs> that is not, I mean, I mean, I just want to say Tony was an artist, but. No, what I think of is, I think it, it looks like. Someone that doesn't know what a kid looks like trying to draw a kid. Mm. Mm. Or you mean someone who doesn't know what a kid looks like trying to pretend to be a kid? Like, imagine if I was just like, all right, Brian, I want you to draw the like three toed sloth from Brazil or some obscure animal you've almost never heard of. I'm pretty sure I've already heard of that. Okay. Well, that one, yes. Everyone <laughs> knows sloths. It's just that's all I could think of today. Today we talked about sloths in school. But <laughs> imagine if I just randomly gave you a creature. Mm-hmm. And I told you, like, oh, yeah, it has, like, four legs. And it's got, like, brown hair. And, like, you might come up with, like, a creature. Mm-hmm. Like the same people on the YouTube channel, Drawfee. They just right. base oh, their drawings Drawfee. off of an idea. Yeah. 
but it rarely ever hits perfectly. This is true. So somebody's like, oh, yeah, draw a really cute picture of like a super nice little girl. <laughs> and then you get this picture that doesn't look very nice at all it or doesn't... very authentically like a girl. It looks like a thing. It Something. looks off. Anyway, yeah, those pictures are just, uh, you know how I am with Uncanny Valley shit. <clears throat> well, that's that's except for mannequins of uncanny valley for sure yeah i don't mind mannequins mannequins are fine anyway um so barbara also says that sally okay so i sh- should have rubber box go rewind um barbara also says that sally is protecting the baby that's what sally said her role was that she was there to protect the baby which is why she scratched tony when they were escaping thinking that he was going to hurt the baby or take the baby somewhere. Mm. Hmm. So things start to pick up. Literally, things start being thrown <laughs> across the room. <laughs> that was cute. That was a cute pun. I like that one. Um. Yeah. So things are being thrown across the room. Candles and fireplaces are being lit by themselves. Um. It gets so bad that they ask their friend, who is another psychic, to come over. Why don't we ask our friend who's a psychic the first time? I don't know. Feels weird. That seems odd. So they, she can check out the house. Um, this one is Renee Liker. Mm-hmm. Liker? Liker. I'm going to say like, Liker. Um, she reportedly saw a shadow of a tall man sitting by the window when she first arrived at the house. Mm-hmm. So when she walked up to the house. So the house was supposedly empty when she first got there, though. Oh, so she thought someone was in it. Got you. Yeah, but there was just a shadow of a tall man. So Renee also, since there was more than one spirit in the house, of course, because she saw the big shadow of the guy. Um, She also sensed an evil spirit there as well. Now, what do you think she suggests that they do? Exorcism? No. Just a cleansing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she she suggests that they uh, burn sage in every room. Okay, for anybody who is listening, okay, I have to say this to someone. Don't just be burning sage, okay? Here's why. Because unless you know the rituals that go with it, you can also take away the good energy too. This is true. Okay? You have to know who you're talking to and and what you should be saying. So unless you're going to hire an indigenous person or a shaman or someone who knows which things to say and which prayers or in, it's hard to say other word than prayer. Yeah. But what part of the ritual to do, you run the risk of like letting things in you don't want and getting rid of things that you do want to stay. Absolutely. <clears throat> which is why whenever I watch those TV shows and people like, it's so funny to me. Like it, it shouldn't be funny, but I cackle <laughs> and they're like, then we took stage. We and then the, like the medium is just like, oh, God. you can't, you can't take a native American ritual and try and get rid of native American people. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you can't, you can't like use hoodoo or voodoo and get rid of black people like that. You can't do that. No, that's this is their practice. This is not our their kryptonite. closed religious practice. You can't use it against them to run them out of your home. Sorry, sorry. I just that's just a PSA from someone who's very seriously into the spirituality of sage and an indigenous person. You're good. Don't do it. <laughs> 
But continue. So they did a little cleansing. How'd it go, Brian? Did it go well? <laughs> so Devin told me they burned sage. Um, so while they're in the same room, uh, Tony gets attacked again. Oh, he's scratched and thrown across the room Ooh. and held down by an unseen force. Upgrade. Yeah. Uh, they did not like the sage at all. Just no. the, the spirits didn't like the sage. Um, so listen to Brittany, please. <laughs> um, well, in this situation, I don't think sage would have helped at all. No, not at all. Regardless. Yeah. But, no. um, another reason why you should, um. Yeah, perhaps I, have competent people walk through your yeah, house before yeah. you move in. Because I was reading the story and I was like, oh my God, they did not sage. No. <laughs> Always. So it took Deb and Renee to, you know, get him up after, you know, being pinned down by this unseen force. Mm-hmm. Um, and Renee's, you know, giving chance of, you know, saying, leave this house and, you know, we're not scared of you, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> after this, attack um tony was the main target of the spirits attacks for some reason i don't know why the spirits just liked him mm, i have a <clears throat> do you know why uh, uh okay I, I have a thought about it but i'm so really... do i i have like a what's the word uh, <clears throat> a theory on that yeah <clears throat> so you know he'd feel an evil presence around him all the time oh that sounds <clears throat> awful he even had like burn marks on his body from like the attack, like you know, finger, like someone had their hand. Yeah, yeah, like when people get like the someone's grabbed really hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, but visitors weren't spared either. They would, you know, get their hair pulled and attacked as well. But Tony got the most violent of the attacks. Okay. <clears throat> so there have been many, many, many paranormal investigators. That have gone through this house. Mm-hmm. So, on one of the, these occasions, an investigating crew witnessed Tony actually, you know, get possessed by a spirit. And it had... By a spirit, Brian? Can spirits possess people? <laughs> Richie, come Sorry, on. Sorry, I'm, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it just be these moments that's what i said people just act like they they don't want to say the word tony say the word you know what it is sir it, it wanted him to kill his wife so further into like okay so that that part was on a different scale uh but further into the episode um tony actually starts talking about how this presence how well, he felt this presence at, at all times and like these visions of him hurting Deb. Mm-hmm. And like. This I do remember hearing about. Yeah. Like he never had like a happy thought when he was in the house and he always felt like a different person at sometimes. Um, I said he always felt like a different person sometimes. I mean, he felt like a different person sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what you meant. That's fine. So the spirit behind these attacks, the violent ones at least, uh, is thought to be a middle-aged woman. Um, now this is from the show again. You probably every, whoever seen this episode. This this isn't just from the show because I know, but this I've, is I've this I think this is the part that yeah I didn't I said I didn't want to spoil. Like, I think this is the part that I'm aware of. This is the one that was highlighted in the episode of oh, okay. Haunting. So they oh interesting. So like, like like I said, there are different investigating crews that have come. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, 
um, investigative crew, it was, uh, you know, shown in a show, whatever, had Peter James, apparently he's a, a famous medium, mm-hmm. a third medium coming into the house, um, who saw Tony being attacked. Um, he also felt the presence of the little girl, Sally, and the older woman, Spirit. So, I, I'm going to add a little right here. Um, Didn't after, they think she was a black lady? Yeah, hold That's on. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. So... Okay, yeah, yeah, this is the part I remember. So at first, uh, Peter James, he tries to contact with the, the older woman's spirit. Okay. He gets pushed back. Um, so he's like, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's back off for right now. Um, later, he walks outside, and then, this is, you know, the scene I'm watching. Um, and he, you know, he tries to commune with the older woman's spirit again. So this time he gets a reading from her. So apparently what Peter James got from contacting the spirit was that she was a maid of Dr. Finney's, who was also his lover. Um, she was also a black woman. Saucy. Um, <laughs> and they had a daughter together named Sally. Um, now, y'all can believe this if you want. Uh, um, <laughs> but... I'm more like Mr. Houdini here. I don't really trust mediums all like that. I don't really believe in them all like that. Well, it's not that I don't trust them. It's that... Huh. Okay. See, I don't know that one. There's another one. Okay. That's that's foreign to me. That this is supposedly the love child of this. And also, side note for anyone listening... um. There's no having a relationship with your boss in this situation, especially not in this age and time. No, she was she was a slave. That was a sexual assault. Yeah, she she was a slave. That she that she that, no that, that um, maybe that 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 wasn't that wasn't consensual. Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> side note: Is Tony a white man? Is that why she beating on him? That he's he's a white man. <laughs> I just wonder. This is a white family. Okay. <laughs> Well, records do show that a Sally Isabel Hall lived in the house in 1905, Mm -hmm. but she was a 35-year-old black woman. So, there are no official records of a little girl named Sally living in that house at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, let me get to this fun part right here. So... There was a family that lived in the house after the Pickmans moved out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't experience anything paranormal at all. But they did find, let me list this off for you. Um, they found a large pentagram, a cauldron, an altar, and a black robe in the basement. Um, all found in the basement by the landlord. Now, there's speculation that this ca- this place could be... Used to summon demons at one point. Now, that look you're giving me. Well, did the Pikmins leave it empty for some time? I'm not sure. Because that's a real common thing that happens with abandoned buildings. Yeah. People come in, they play around with things. I wouldn't trust it as being people who are practicing that Mm. unless you find hex bags. Mm. When people start finding Mm. hex bags on their properties... Or like protection bags. That's when I kind of believe it to be real stuff. Versus people who just show up, you know, draw pentagrams, 
splash some animal blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they're kids having fun. So if the property was left empty for a while, it could have been, you know, defaced. This is true. With people who, you know, listen, at one point in my life, I was a hot topic goth. <laughs> I thought I was edgy, too. We Thank all goodness, did. Listen, this was pre-social media. There are, like, no pictures left of me that look that way. But, you know, you uh, we thought, we sure thought we were, uh, darkness is my only friend. Like, we really thought we were, like, we were about that life. So... Oh. I sometimes wonder if in those situations they're like, oh, we, they, they, they believe they're Satanists. I'm like, I feel like these are people just kind of goofing. Yeah, yeah, like teenagers just walking yeah. around. Yeah. That's why I wonder when I hear stuff like that. Like, are you sure that's really what it is? Or are you just, you know, you moved in and sure it creeped you out. Mm-hmm. But it is probably just some kids being stupid. They, I, I think I read something like they did think that Sally was like the first spirit that appeared there mm-hmm. but then the house became like a magnet for other spirits to you know enter into this realm mm-hmm. for some odd reason um now <clears throat> there is a quote from tony um now he was he had a catholic upbringing apparently right um and like I said, he didn't want to. He he didn't want to fuck with the the spirits in his house. He was right. <clears throat> so this is a quote I'm getting from. This is um, it says, at times the need or desire to return to the house was very overwhelming. Our desire to help and understand blinded us to the possibility of ulterior motives or influences. For years, other groups had been offered to the theory that there were demonic forces at work. Tony's original feelings were, while living in the house, were that of demonic activity and misrepresentation, and more recently, psychic involvement offered the same daunting information. So, basically, it's saying that Tony obviously thought there was something demonic in there, and that he did not trust Sally at all, because he... Yes, he shouldn't have. Yeah, he thought... Um, That's a common trope. Yeah, for demons to, you know... That's to... why I said the picture doesn't look like yeah. a real drawing of a child. That's why I'm saying, like, <clears throat> it was something that was trying to look like a child, but they didn't know what a child looked like. Right, that's my thought process, too. Yeah, but you said something, somebody was drawing it, <laughs> they didn't well, know what a child looked like. I know what you mean. Their interpretation. Yes. Yeah. The, yes, the, yes, the, yes, the, yes, the yes. being's interpretation of what a child would look like. Yes. Um, we were uh, weirdly saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were. We were, we were um let's see what else what else what else but yeah i always knew this story as essentially that sally was never real yeah no no she's never been real no not at all and so that's why when you were telling me like the history of the house i was like huh (laughs) like i don't know any like i don't know any of those stories yeah but apparently like the history of the house not the not the sally's stories but the actual like actual history is legit yeah that it was used as a yeah, yeah. hospital for certain times and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so like I said, there are there are a lot of investigation investigations in the house. Um, so if you want guys want to check it out, there's a full list of the investigations if you go to the sallyhouse.com, and I believe it's actually ran by the Pikmins. Um, so if you want to check that out, that's fun. They but- apparently <clears throat> have allowed people to stay there. Um. When the uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved crew was there, yeah, um, they did the thing where they like leave the light on and yeah. it turns on and turns off depending on when you answer questions. Mm-hmm. And they did get some responses in which Ryan lost his mind. Now, 
I know that they were renting renting the house out, the Pikmins, mm-hmm. but then they moved out, and then another. But now it's unoccupied. Yeah, this was in the last couple years, maybe. Like maybe they do tours there. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, maybe they do some kind of tours or things. It looked yeah. like it was lived in. Um, they, they did have. bring a medium with them, <clears throat> who was laughing at Ryan screaming. Who wouldn't? <laughs> they stay. They stayed there. They slept, or they tried to. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I honestly think there's some t- something demonic going on. Nothing like no spirits ever. Well, the other thing that immediately pings for me when I hear the demonic thing is that like, so when they went to leave, the this first time thing followed them. You're talking about the first time when yes. they scratched. Yes, it's, that's it's, not it's... something that would <clears throat> normally happen for a basic spirit. Yeah, it scratched them. It's I not guess not going to follow you and attack you in another location. No, it scratched that's them as demonic, he was leaving the house. Like, what's the word? Um, what did freaking did the Warrens call it when demonic they like possession? Not possession. Possession is when it takes over you. Infestation. It's it's part of that phase. I know it's what you connected mean. to you. You know, I actually wrote this down somewhere too. In I my forget what notes. it's called, but yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. But um but yeah, I, like but no, he as as they were leaving the house, that's when he got attacked. Hmm. And they came back into the house and then hmm. stuff happened. But yeah, that's um the fun stuff I wrote this week. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've always like I've always heard that as the the Sally House is actually uh, the demon house. Yeah. Under the tags, it does say demon. <laughs> so yeah. Atchison, Kansas. Oh, it's a self guided tour or stay overnight if you're brave enough. Yeah. How they, about we you not? Can literally just go there. How about we not, please and thank you. Well, regardless. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our story about the worst man in Missouri. Oh my God, worst man in not, not I wouldn't say in life, but worst man I've heard about pretty so far. Guy. Pretty bad guy. Um, and uh, apparently, the most haunted house in Atchison, Kansas. Yes, yes, yes. Um, as usual, if you listened all the way to this at the almost two-hour mark, oh my God! So much. <laughs> Thank you, appreciate it. We very much enjoyed doing <laughs> this. We have a lot of fun. We hope you do too. Yes. Um, you can always support us by let's see there's a tiktok caught podcast or creeps with brian there's a twitch foxy trainer yeah there's the discord which you can find through the uh, link at the tiktok uh let's see you can there's been a lot of support uh for the jewelry company there you go feel free to continue buying things for me Brittany has made some lovely dum-dum looking lollipops oh yeah those are selling <laughs> quite well right now i do i i make things that are also knives but i also make things that are cute yes at the magic clasp <laughs> and if you want to send us an email Absolutely. at any time and we might shout <laughs> you out too yeah at cult podcast that at gmail.com. God, there you go. Cult podcast at gmail.com. Like I said, if you go to the anchor, whenkillers.com, when, uh, killers, when get- killers get caught. <laughs> We're just messing it all up. On anchor.fm. Um, you can leave a voicemail too. We might use that in a future podcast. Yeah. Uh, you can always leave questions. Talk to us. We, we like interaction. We do. We like when people talk to us. Uh, we also do have a Twitter account. It has 16 followers now. Oh, there you go. Look at that. We're, we're going. Um, it's God W 
Well, the TikTok is almost at 300,000. Yeah. So. What's his Twitter? Uh, WKGC podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You made it. I know. I was trying to make it short. Is when killers get called, but you know, with the, with the letters, the, <laughs> the first letters. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Um, yeah. Have, have a, a good night. Yeah, have a good night. <laughs>